This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we tackle your questions on how long to keep gifts you don't love, letting go of gift exchanges with former in-laws, and how to avoid hosting in-laws for a month, as well as a tricky question about navigating wedding invitations when not all your family members are supportive of your marriage. Plus your feedback, a postscript segment where we geek out to the max on thank you notes and your salute all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of APM Podcasts from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. Hanukkah starts on the 24th, and we have Christmas on the 25th, so happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas. We don't have a holiday show this year, but this is kind of a little bit it. We got, got a little surprise in store. and Absolutely. Right? We, we, we would be remiss if we didn't start off the show by wishing everyone out there uh, a very happy Hanukkah and a very Merry Christmas. We were a little remiss when we missed that for Thanksgiving. I know. <laughs> I couldn't believe we did that. I mean, talk about hosts not hosting right. <laughs> Indeed. So we... we, 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 we we beg your pardon, and we're, we're, we're seizing this moment and this opportunity, and it really is a special time of year. It's a time of year where a lot is happening, and there are a lot of transitions in life, and we would like to let you, our dedicated audience, in on a transition that's going to be happening here at Awesome Etiquette in the coming weeks. Awesome Etiquette is going independent. We are very excited about this. We are. We are very excited that we are going to be producing the show at the Emily Post Institute. Uh, starting in the new year, we are beginning a, a new phase of the Awesome Etiquette podcast, and we want you all to join us. We have loved being part of the American public media family, and as a spinoff from Dinner Party Download, we could never forget our roots. We want to give a big shout-out to Brendan and Rico, the hosts of the show, and Jackson, the most excellent producer who really was instrumental in introducing Lizzie and I to radio and podcasts. However, the time has come, and we are excited to launch out on our own and to become a, a homegrown, independent, Emily Post Institute-produced podcast. Our goal is most definitely to continue to provide you with the show that you love and tune in for each week. We do not want you to worry. The show is not changing. You will not all of a sudden have a completely different show on your hands. We want to make this as seamless as possible for you, our listeners. We will have a couple more weeks with our current and wonderful producer, Chris Roberts. And then on January 1st, we will be on our own working with a team that's located right here in Burlington, Vermont. 
We'll have more info in the coming weeks, so please uh, keep an ear out, keep an eye out. We're going to tell you how to get those RSS feeds linked up and everything just as soon as we have the info for you. So please stick with us, Um, and 2017 is going to be really, really awesome. Dan, enough about the show because, man, you have been going nuts on the home front. This isn't just baby. I mean, I know we got babies coming and we still we still want to know about those names. Transitions, transitions, transitions. But my goodness, you had a big week this week. I did. Pooja and I have moved into our new home, which we are so excited about. It is right next door to the house I grew up in, was born and raised in, where my parents still live. So for me, it's a real homecoming. It's, it's a big transition and yet it also is so familiar. It's really kind of amazing. And I love your show notes about managing relationships well, with in-laws and family you, that who you live very be my close in, buddy. to. I was going to ask you about that and say, okay, so yeah, sure. Nice new house. What color of the wall? Yeah, 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 yeah. What are you going to do about the fact that you're, you know, I won't reveal your age. You're moving back home, basically. Like, your parents are going to be right next door. Is mom got, like, how do you set those boundaries? I'm, I swear we could do a whole show on it. But you're about to manage having your folks live next door when you're bringing your first child into the world. Wife is bringing your first child into the world. Like, what? No. How are you going to put up the door that says, no, you can't just show up in the morning, mom? It's so funny. For, for, for me, it, it's, it seems like a, a natural question. And yeah. yet for me, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Uh, I have such a good relationship with my parents. Pooja has such a good relationship with my parents. For us, it was... Um, a real benefit. But this experience has proved to be such a Rorschblatt test <laughs> in the ways that people respond is so revealing about the relationships people have with their parents and, and all of the different shades and colors that those relationships often have. Because I I hear just about everything <laughs> when I mention that this is the move that we're making right now. As you mentioned, the the baby is, is very near <laughs> to, to being with us. We're very close to full term. So there are lots of transitions happening. It is so exciting. There is a lot going on. And that will impact the show just a little bit. Hopefully, there will be a couple of weeks where I will be unavailable because I will be (laughs) just um, so wrapped up in that whole family world. And I'm really excited that you're going to be able to take the reins here and and keep offering up a show every week. And we have some some interesting and exciting ideas for what to do during my my brief paternity absence. Absolutely. We will definitely have some guests in for some fun and maybe slightly different etiquette points of view for you. Um, well, you've had tons of stuff going up in your life. Basically, all I've got to share is that I showed up to a holiday party a week early, and it was more embarrassing because it was one of those parties where the host himself, even though I know him, didn't invite me. It was, you know, you were invited by kind of a co-host of sorts. And, of course, I, you know, I, I ring the buzzer, and, and they're just, you hear dead silence, and you're like, there is not a party going on there. I'm that person. Okay, well, that's my embarrassing single weekend. Can <laughs> happen to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and then so appropriate, too, I, I think that it was v- VPR ran the segment on buzzer etiquette, buzzing people in etiquette just last week. Oh, the gate one? And I was picturing <laughs> you standing there navigating a, a buzz-in situation. Which is not normal for Vermont. Very few buildings have them. So it's like it's not New York City where you're very used to kind of buzzing people and, and they, oops, wrong number, sorry. <laughs> anyway, that's what's going on in our lives. But let's get to your questions. Yes, let's. To make a good impression, you must know what to do.
On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, Do I Have to Keep It? Hey, AE team, I'm a huge fan of the show and have been listening, going through all the episodes from the beginning and learn something new every episode. Thank you so much for posting this podcast. I have been hearing a lot of questions about gift giving. I really appreciate your advice that you don't need to have equal gifts at the same time. I just gave some gifts and could tell that the recipients felt awkward that they didn't have gifts for me. I tried my best to emphasize that the gifts were early Christmas or new baby or housewarming to not have them feel so unequal. And I felt really good knowing that it's okay to do a one-sided gift exchange. Okay, so here's my big burning question. What is the idea behind receiving gifts? I heard your ideas on re-gifting. I have read the Marie book on keeping items that bring you joy. If something doesn't bring me joy or I know I really won't use it, my mentality has always been to return it as not to be wasteful or keep it until I donate it to Goodwill years later unused. Is it rude to return gifts you simply don't care for and know you won't ever use, even if it's handmade? What if you have a baby? This is a question that keeps coming up in my circle of friends, and I would love the expert's opinion. I never want to hurt anyone's feelings and know how much effort goes into giving a gift, but also hate the idea of storing items that I don't care for, knowing I will never use them. Any advice would be so helpful. Tracy. Tracy, thank you so much for this question. The details, the ins and outs, the etiquette of giving and receiving gifts is something that's really at front of mind this time of year, and this is a slightly new direction on that question. 
It's definitely a big part of the gift-giving tradition that you receive a gift well. And the idea behind accepting a handmade craft item or homemade gift or personalized gift is that you really want the person who put the time and effort and thought into giving you that gift to feel good about it. And you definitely have to balance that against your desire not to have a house that's filling up with clutter or items that you don't feel connected to, that don't bring you joy. I I, I love that concept, and I'm aware that it's out there to sort of balance the idea that it's important to clear all the clutter out of your life, that it's okay to hold on to objects that have sentimental value, that, that really connect you to your past. And this might not turn into one of those items. You never know. Sometimes that ugly orange sweater that grandma knit for you that you just couldn't believe when you took out of the box becomes sort of a cherished or treasured item years later. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But I do think that the cost of hanging on to those homemade gifts so that you don't end up hurting someone's feeling is relatively small compared to the potential insult or injury that someone might feel if they learned that something that they had handmade for you hadn't made the cut and had been goodwilled. And ultimately, the heart of good etiquette is taking care of other people, really placing other people's comfort, ease, um, right there on the level with or maybe even above your own. And I think this is one of those cases where you might take a hit for the sake of someone else and, and hang on to that gift to avoid hurting their feelings. I would definitely say just in response to Tracy's question of even if it's handmade, you really can't return a handmade gift. It's it's homemade. The only returns you should really be doing are to stores. It's, it's really not okay to return that handmade. I, I'm sorry. I really just don't want this. Do you have anything else? That's just not a possibility. That being said, I really don't want to encourage people to keep stuff for so long that they have just clutter. I mean, it's it's not. It's not fun to have more stuff when you're trying to get rid of stuff. A lot of people want to pare down. We're trying to be a society that doesn't consume, you know, above and beyond. Um, and I think that, that it's okay after, you know, a few months if you get rid of that item. I would try to wait until the person has been able to come and, and visit me. But then again, if the person doesn't do that, it's really not going to matter how long you hold on to it. And most people periodically clean out their homes and you get new decor, you get new pictures, you change what your living room looks like. And it's okay that items that have been gifted to you over the years come and go in regards to those home changes. It's absolutely fine. And it's okay to say, you know, I, I had it, I loved it, and then it was time to switch things up. And that's perfectly acceptable. It's it's a theme that we've uh, talked about on this show before when people have asked, do, well, do I need to display a gift that someone's right. given me? And we've said, no, you really don't have to. How you decorate your home is really up to you. We've also mentioned that sometimes discretion being the better part of valor, that you might put something out that someone would really appreciate seeing out if there wasn't a big cost to you. But if if it's really not something that you would do anyway, it's certainly not an obligation that you use every gift that you've been given. It's absolutely an obligation that you thank someone for giving it to you, that you show genuine appreciation for the thought and the effort that they put into it, and that you also make an effort not to hurt their feelings, that you don't make it explicit or obvious <laughs> that you've moved on. As Lizzie says, you know, it's oftentimes the case that people don't actually visit your house and have a chance to see a certain gift in use. And if they're not going to do that anyway, then there's no harm. There's no foul to getting that gift into the hands of someone who would be using it. If you could hurt their feelings, then you want to be careful with how you're going to approach that. Once again, just really putting that other person's feelings um, at the, the front of your mind. It's the platinum rule. 
I mean, it comes back to the platinum rule. You know, you know this person. If they are that type of person who's so excited about having given you something and they just put so much effort into it, you know what? It just doesn't hurt you to feed into that a little bit and at least say thank you so much, the thought that counts. Again, you don't have to lie. You don't have to say the gift itself that you don't really want is the most amazing thing because you might get it next year, right? That's one of the things we always say when you're visiting someone's home. If you don't like the potatoes, don't rave about them because let me tell you, they're going to make them for you again. Um, but I think that Dan's absolutely right. You also don't have to take on things that, that you really don't want to keep around your life for very long. Tracy, we hope that that helps. We hope that you are able to both have joy for the items that you want to keep in your life. And we also hope that you are able to let go of with confidence the things that you don't need. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our next question is about ghosting the gift exchange. I have a question about gifting. I separated from my husband this fall, and it's not clear whether his family is aware of the finality of it. Though I have been in contact to let them know I appreciate them, and though we are separated, their love and support has meant so much. They are incredibly generous people, and I have been a pretty generous holiday gifter in the past, but I'm not giving many gifts this year at all, and would like to end gift giving with them ultimately. I am planning to bake cookies and send them to his immediate family with a card and let that be it for this year. But do you have any suggestions on ensuring the gifting dynamic doesn't continue into next year? I was never a big Christmas person, but I went all out for them as in-laws the last few years. And because my ex loves Christmas, I engaged in it more than I honestly prefer. I'm concerned they will continue reciprocating and that I will be caught off guard if I don't prepare something again too. I think keeping it simple this year and sending cookies early on should be enough of a gesture, regardless of their gifting plans, but I'd like to find a way to end the relationship entirely for next year without outright saying, I'm not planning to give gifts anymore, because that feels like a bah humbuggy, cut the cord of kinship kind of thing to say. What do you think? Thank you, Anon. Oh, Anon, my vote is that you do just as you planned and don't worry about it. Send the cookies, send them early so that they are more of a seasonal gift rather than specifically a Christmas gift. And I did email Anon as soon as we got her email so that the timing actually works out and she's not getting this advice um, right on Christmas week. Next year, I would suggest possibly just sending a card or sending nothing at all. You are absolutely right. If you said, I don't want to send you gifts anymore. While that is true, it is not polite. <laughs> and this is the nice thing to do is you, you do kind of a, a gift for everyone. It's a toned down gift. It's not mm -hmm. specific. Um, you're including the immediate family that have been your family for the past few years that you have celebrated with. But the nature is different. The expression is different. And I think that's a great bridge into being able to extract yourself from this gift exchange. Excuse me. I would say don't be surprised if your former in-laws actually ask if you'd like to do a gift exchange. Sometimes in cases like this, you wind up with very 
practically minded in-laws who are just saying, hey, there are holidays and things that we've done together. How do you want to handle this as you two navigate a separation? It's just a good thing to recognize that they might want advice and help and seek your comfort levels on. It's okay for you to then engage and say, yes, given the circumstances, I'd, I'd like to not do a gift exchange or maybe we could just catch up via cards or phone in the future. Um, I think that that would be perfectly fine for you to engage with them because it is an issue of practicality. You are navigating the the dissolving of a relationship with someone, and it wasn't the the person you were directly dissolving the relationship with. It's kind of the the extended dissolves that you're dealing with. And I think it's really nice to handle those with care like you're thinking of doing. Sometimes when we talk about to, to children, we talk about the importance of tradition. And mm-hmm. one of the examples that we'll use about traditions to talk to kids about how important it is to respect traditions that come from a time maybe before them is how important traditions become to children themselves. Once you've done something a few years in a row, it becomes a new tradition within a family. And as Lizzie mentions, this is a, a situation where there's a relationship that's dissolving, that's ending, and then that's impacting traditions that have developed. And you're in some ways really wise to be thinking about how you communicate and talk about a change of tradition. I think that Lizzie's advice is so sound that particularly you bringing up not wanting to give gifts anymore really could come across as rude. I love yeah. the, <laughs> the type of communication that you're defining, that you're figuring out of tearing down the gifts over time, of sending cues. That's its own kind of communication. And it's also the appropriate level of communication with you talking to their whole family in some ways, the, the burden of the explicit communications on them, and I also think Lizzie's really right, that they might actually ask you a question at some point about how you want to handle this. And it would be up to, to that family then to sort of disseminate that information. You'd only have to communicate at one time in that way. Mm-hmm. It's also true that maybe your family is going to ask you how to handle the, the holiday traditions that have developed with the husband that you're separating from in this case. And then that communication would be a little more explicit on your side of the equation, you talking to your family about how to proceed with your ex-husband. Absolutely. And as you proceed, obviously, I think you're not a lover of Christmas. This isn't your biggest thing. You're not your favorite thing. So uh, obviously, I see you wanting to pull back. And that's what you've indicated you want to do. Just so you know, if if they continue to reach out for, for you, I mean, you were a big part of their lives for a while. It just might be the case that his family doesn't want to lose all of that connection or that they would still feel very good about being able to send you a card or something like that. I still get birthday cards from an ex-boyfriend's mother every year and it's been six years since we've been together and I'm not a birthday card person. I don't really send them. I often forget birthdays. I'm not on Facebook to be reminded, really. So it's it's one of those things where I'm not very good at it, but she always sends it. I, I've learned to just love receiving that card because it's so kind and generous, and I don't feel badly about not going the other way. Um, and that's okay. That's just the type of people that we are, and that's that's a part of the relationship that we've now established kind of post-relationship. And that's all right. (laughs) It it absolutely is. I think the amount of forethought that you're giving here indicates that you're going to handle this situation really well. Whatever emerges in the coming years, we wish you the best and really hope this helps. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsors. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is titled Seemingly Selfish Sister-in-Law. 
Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I listen to Awesome Etiquette every week during my commute, and it's definitely made me more aware of etiquette in my everyday life. I was recently presented with an etiquette dilemma, and I'd like to know how each of you would approach the situation. My husband and I, newlyweds as of six months, congratulations, Congratulations. recently moved to a new city closer to my in-laws, who I adore. We live in a small two-bedroom apartment about an hour away from where each of us work. We've split the difference. And yes, I rely on your podcast for one of the 10 hours I spend commuting in the car each week. So please keep them coming. We are doing our best to make sure that happens. My husband and I both work relatively long hours. We both really need some alone time in the evenings to recharge, and we cherish the hour or so that we get to spend catching up with each other. Um, Not to get too personal here, but we're also trying for a baby. My dilemma is that my husband's sister, who is getting a health care degree, has asked if she can stay with us for the entire month of March while she does a rotation in the city where we live. She's stayed with us before for a week here and there and would spend the whole evening in our living room wanting to chat and participate in anything that was going on with us. We enjoy her company, but by the end of the week, I was really ready for her to go. She has other family with large, spacious homes in the area. Additionally, her parents live 40 minutes from where she'll be working, so I don't really feel as though she has no reasonable alternatives. How can we say no or at least welcome her for only part of the time without getting the reputation of being the selfish sister-in-law? For the record, my husband agrees with me, but's never been able to politely say no. He either just concedes to avoid drama or is too blunt. No, you can't stay for a month. Sincerely, seemingly selfish sister-in-law. Oh, seemingly selfish sister-in-law. This is one of those moments I wish we had a camera in the studio. Because <laughs> as Lizzie's reading your question, I'm just sitting there I know. kind of just <laughs> shaking my head. There is so much going on in this question. There is a, a lot to unpack. And... First of all, I just want to acknowledge the congratulations on all the changes in life, the new <laughs> marriage, the new apartment, all of it. There's a lot for for you to navigate here. And I also really appreciate your perspective, your awareness about the sister-in-law relationship, that this is a long and established sibling relationship that, that you're part of now and that your husband has all kinds of standing that's built up over time that you may or may not have. And I am sure based on the the self-awareness that I see in your letter that you are handling this well, that you are not being perceived the way you you want to not be perceived because you're aware of being perceived that way and you're <laughs> making an effort not to be perceived that way. If you were able to follow that, it's totally true. Um, no, I, the one thing I want to point out is that our listener is actually in so much more good stead than other versions of this question that we've received. First of all, we have a good relationship going on. Second of all, we have the husband who also did not enjoy the sister. The real problem is when the husband loved having his sister here and kind of like a part of absolutely everything. And, and you know, the wife is going like, eh, this was driving me nuts, but they're having a good time. That would be tragic. It'd be really hard if there weren't the other options of the other family members around. I mean, there are just so many good things that put our listener in a good position to say no. Absolutely. And there's so many ways you could say no. You could say no by saying a little bit yes. You could say, you know, we would love to have you for a week again, or we would love to have you for two weeks or whatever that is that you'd be willing to do. (laughs) You could say, we would love to have you for that month, but we really need to put some rules or some boundaries in place so that we're all going to be happy in the small apartment together for a full month. 
you could just say no by saying no. <laughs> and sometimes that's also really important. You know, we've loved hosting you in the past, but for this kind of a stay, when you're talking about being here for a month and attending school, we really think it would be best if we could find a different way to handle this. And that might involve the other family that you've mentioned. It might not. But just I, I was thinking a little bit, you might have been doing your job so well that you're now the first choice, <laughs> that right. you actually might be a favored sister-in-law. And based on the particular problem that emerges of her wanting to spend time with you and her brother, your husband, that you're, you're her first ask and that actually a little bit of a no might even put the second option on the radar and it might not be a hard second option. I wouldn't necessarily recommend staying with the other family members just because you don't know what their situations are. But I think that would probably occur to everyone involved pretty quickly without your making that suggestion. Th that's an option for them. The other the other route to go is this is family. Family does kind of talk and little birds whisper. That's and true. It, you can call up mom and dad and say, hey, Carol wants to come stay for a month, but we really can't host her. I mean, as you guys know, we're trying for a baby <laughs> and there's a long commute. And there's just limited hours in the day. You know, I, Dan was mentioning all the good reasons. There are a lot of good reasons here. And if you're comfortable telling your family members that you guys are trying for a baby, that's also a good reason um, that this is actually a time where we kind of need alone time. We kind of we're working towards growing our family and that's not something we want to do with house guests around. <laughs> um, a little technical, a little TMI, but also getting to the point of privacy is kind of important right now. I also want to just say, you don't have to give a reason other than, you know, a month is a little too long for us in our small apartment. But, you know, we've talked to mom and dad and we've talked to Aunt Betsy and that might start to feel a little like the vine has been talking, but we just wanted to make sure there were other options out there and help you find the best way to come and stay for the month of March. But we're so excited you're going to be around. This is awesome. <laughs> you've also... Right, like transition, right? Yes. <laughs> um, you've also, again, there's so much going on here. There is. Anticipated some of our best advice, which is talk to your husband about this. Yes. And that, that he might have other ideas. He might be a good medium for communication. He might be more tapped into that family network that Lizzie's talking about than you are. Maybe, maybe not. I love how you're already aware of that your husband sometimes either <laughs> is a little too soft or a little too hard. But you might find how to help him find that middle ground. Practice those sample <laughs> scripts together. Practice them. <laughs> and I, I guess sort of the final thought that I would offer, because I think you have a lot to work with here already, is that you might decide to say yes. That is also an option. You might say to yourself, you know, when, when you talk to the other family or there's a real reason that your sister-in-law would prefer to stay with you, that when you talk to your husband about it, that you're prepared to hear from him, you know, I really want to do this for my sister. I think it's important, her medical school, whatever it is. If, 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 if that comes up. If it comes up in a way that this really matters to everyone, a month is a long time, but it's also not forever. I think that you're okay to set those boundaries. But if you decided to make an exception in this case and take a hit for the team, that's certainly an option that's on the table as well. Seemingly selfish sister-in-law, we do not think you are very selfish at all, and we hope that you and your husband are able to find a comfortable and convenient way to handle this for everybody involved. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Our next question is about invitations and support. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for your lovely insights on your podcast. I listen on my bus commute, and it makes for such a great soundtrack to my Monday afternoons. I am writing with a sticky invitation question for my upcoming nuptials in June. My fiancé and I are so excited for our wedding day and want to celebrate with our family and friends. We are a lesbian couple, and while there have been some bumps in the road, our immediate family is supportive of our relationship and marriage. This is not true for some of our extended family. Some have been vocal about their disapproval, while others have not, though we know enough about their personal and political beliefs to feel confident that they do not support us. Other members of these same families are thrilled for us, and we definitely want to include them. My question is this. How do we handle invitations with this hiccup in mind? Is it rude to invite one adult cousin and her husband and kids and not her brothers or other cousins? Do we only exclude the people who have been vocal about their disapproval but still invite the people who we know don't support gay marriage but haven't confronted us personally about it? Can we just invite the people we know are excited for us in our marriage, even if that divides some extended family members? Should we just exclude any extended family units where there might be an issue? Some of our family members have suggested we invite everyone and let them make the decision themselves. But we really want to make our commitment in front of people who are enthusiastic about our marriage and don't want to have to field homophobia on our wedding day. We also don't want to be rude. Oy vey. Thank you so much for your help and for your weekly thoughtful advice, Meryl. Oh, Meryl, congratulations on your coming nuptials. Um, We get versions of this question all the time. This is a slightly different version of the question. Wedding guest lists are incredibly complicated, and the decision-making process around wedding guest lists are often fraught. And this is a particularly fraught set of decisions that you're facing or you're dealing with here. And I'm really going to look for clues in the way you've asked the question to give you an answer. But the, the broad answer, the etiquette answer here, when you're talking about a wedding guest list or invitations, that is up to you as the host. You really get to make a choice and a decision for yourself. As a regular listener to the show, you've probably heard Lizzie and I talk about the the 10 to over 100 jump that a lot of <laughs> weddings face, that there is the decision that we're going to keep this small and intimate. We're just going to invite our absolute closest family and friends, parents, maybe some siblings, maybe even not siblings, maybe just a close friend or two. Um, and that that's the that's the 10 person wedding happens in the backyard, happens wherever, whenever you want it can be organized and planned quickly. You can have a lot of control over that kind of a wedding. Oftentimes people encounter the the type of difficulty that you're encountering of once you expand that small circle just a little bit, it starts to be harder to make any kind of cutoff. Once you start to include aunts and uncles and cousins, oftentimes the jump goes from that small group of people numbering in the tens to a larger group of people numbering over 100. That is a natural jump, and oftentimes people make that jump because they start to get to the point of etiquette that you're getting to here, which is in that next tier of relationships, it can be hard to parse out who's invited and who isn't, which aunts and uncles, which cousins of those aunts and uncles and cousins, which members of the families that you know better and worse are actually invited, or in this case that you would rather or rather not be there are invited, and and that kind of parsing gets more difficult. You can do it. It is up to you. Wedding guest lists are about budget as well as who you want there to celebrate with you, and you get to make that choice. But 
it's not uncommon for people to encounter that difficulty of how to parse that jump in as you start to get into those more extended circles. And I want to applaud you on wanting to have good etiquette around this. It's very easy to just hold up the hand and say, you don't support me, so I don't want you here. And I think that you are right to think about the fact that this could cause almost jealousy or disappointment from certain family members if they feel like they've been pre-excluded without having talked to you first about the fact that they might not support. So I applaud you for really thinking about the longevity of these relationships, about what you actually know versus what you assume, and really trying to say, we, we want people there who want to be there. I think one of the nice things about an invitation is it allows the guests to decide that too. So in In some ways, your relatives who are saying, go ahead and invite everybody because the people that don't support it will say no, but at least they'll have been included, is a very, very generous way to look at it. However, you also want to employ that platinum rule and you don't want to look rude for inviting someone to an event that you know they wouldn't agree with or feel comfortable being at. So there are two things at play here. And I think I would tap into the family network a little bit. You know, maybe mom can do some talking to a couple aunts or uncles and get a feel for where they stand. I'm going to play the Pollyanna positive card here and say that you just never know who is going to be willing to support because it's you who's getting married and because they love you. And I want to leave room for that as well, that some of these family members that you assume won't have those supportive views, they might not be ready to accept them on a general level. But when their niece or their cousin is the person who is choosing to marry another woman, that they might be the one who says, I'm, you know, I want to be there to support Meryl in this. I do. I want to be there to support Meryl. And I'm hoping that you have some family members that are in that category. From an etiquette perspective, you are in such sound territory there. And and like my cousin, I appreciate the generosity of spirit that comes with that approach of in, invite broadly and let, let people decide for themselves. Let them participate in that decision making so that you don't have to make that choice for them with less information. And I, I appreciate my cousin. She calls it a Pollyanna view. I will say eternally optimistic <laughs> view and, and hope that that really is the situation. I also really want to affirm for you that it is up to you. You get to decide who you have on your wedding day. And if you really want the most supportive audience to be with you, if you want the people who are going to bear witness to this incredibly special event, this commitment that you're making, that is also well within the territory and bounds of etiquette that as the host for this event, you get to really be the decision maker about who you invite and what your reasons are for inviting those people. So I I, I also want to be that that positive, optimistic voice in your ear, encouraging you to really include as many people as you feel comfortable including, while at the same time really affirming the privilege that you have as a host of this event to really craft it in a way that's going to be the most significant for you and your partner. Just in that family network, too. That family network can be a re- resource to extend your wishes of the platinum rule. Like, I, I okay, I'm going to go out there and say what I would do in this situation. I wouldn't send invitations to people that have been vocally unsupportive of my relationship and my marriage. I don't think it's good. I think it's the, the kind of thing where it's like, I know you don't support this, so... 
I don't really want to put it in your face. I don't really want you there not supporting me and feeling uncomfortable. So I want you to know that I love you as a family member, but this isn't the place where you and I are going to connect. And that's okay. Um, And I don't think you say that to them, but I think your mom and dad can communicate that, that when the family maybe asks questions about why someone was invited versus someone else, you can just say, listen, we really wanted to operate on thinking about you and what you've let us know about your support and your level of comfort with this. And I think that that is a great way to go. Your mom or your dad or someone can even say something like, you know, Marilyn and Hillary know your views on their marriage and thought it would be insulting or or not constructive to invite you. And so they wanted to, to really think about your feelings about it. And it wasn't coming from a place of keeping you away. If you actually do want to support them in this, please, you know, send a card or let us know. We, they would love to have you there if that's the case. But they were operating from what they knew. We were all operating from what we knew. And I think, you know, families talk. It's okay that families talk. And that can be a good thing when kind of difficult dividing lines are out there. Mostly, Dan and I just want to congratulate you on your upcoming nuptials. We hope the wedding goes off without a hitch and that you are able to feel really confident about that guest list and about being able to manage anyone who chooses to question it. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thank you for your questions. You can send your next update, comment, question, or salute to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone at 802-866-0860. On Twitter or Facebook, just use the hashtag awesome etiquette so we know you want it on the show. So what do you think about all this etiquette advice we dish out every week? Producer Chris Roberts is our official feedback collector and can give us a clue. Hey, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi there, Lizzie and Dan. Yeah. Wow. What do you think? Well, I'm here to bring you the news, as it were. And episode 116, for some strange reason, the gifting and regifting do's and don'ts episode is still occupying the interest of our <laughs> listeners. I wonder why. Hmm. Could be that the holidays are almost upon us. <laughs> Dave from Vancouver had some thoughts about gifting. He tends to like giving and receiving consumable gifts of the alcoholic beverage variety and even hosts a podcast on craft beer where he lives in Vancouver. And I remember, Dan and Lizzie, you talking about finding gifts that feed somebody's interest or passion or hobby. Dave agrees with this, but he has his own advice on the subject. And Dave writes, My family knows I love craft beer. Unfortunately, this often leads to people purchasing me beer that has an eye-catching label or looks fancy, but that is of a style that isn't my favorite or that I've had and don't particularly care for. Obviously, I appreciate the thought and I love gifts that are in the theme of beer, like special glassware or good sturdy bottle openers. However, I am much better at picking beer that I like for myself than most of my family members are. Similarly, my brother-in-law is really into scotch, a topic I know next to nothing about. I would never attempt to purchase him a bottle of scotch because my knowledge is so limited compared to his. I am, however, happy to buy him interesting scotch glasses or fancy bar tools or other scotch-themed gifts, just not the scotch itself. My general rule is that if someone is really passionate about something, get them a gift that complements their passion rather than 
the item of their passion, unless you know exactly what it is that they like or want, in which case they've probably told you, let them buy it for themselves, something that they usually derive a good amount of pleasure from. That is Dave's advice. I think it's really sound. I think it echoes what you both said in that episode. And I just have to remind everybody, too, and remind myself that it's the thought that counts, too. Right, you guys? Yeah, I think Dan and I are both, like, jumping to the mic going, like, okay, so who gets to challenge this? Who gets to go for this? He's pointing at me now, so now I'm on the hook. I respect what Dave is talking about. I do. And I have family members that believe and operate this way as well. They don't want things they don't want, or if their hobby is something they really know, They know more about it than you do, and they're probably better off picking the things that they want. You know, it's just there are certain hobbies and things I do that, yeah, those probably aren't great gifts for other people to get me. But I want to go back to Dan's wonderful phrase of generosity of spirit. And I think I I appreciate where Dave is coming from. You don't want gifts you don't want. and, And that beer that's actually not great isn't fun and might even hurt your credibility if you served it at a party. You know, that kind of a thing. I get it. But I really think that's when you have to take a step back and you have to say, okay, so the actual item missed the mark, but this person was really trying to get me something I love. Next time, I would encourage a spouse or a sibling or a parent to reach out on your behalf and say, you know, oh, I know that these particular types of craft beer are what Dave really loves. Go for one that that they know. Offer to your family and friends, hey, you know, not a bad idea to tell them that this is a better direction to head in, right? I mean, am help I wrong them, in thinking you. that? Yeah, exactly. That's the line you use. Yes. If, if there is something that is that is a, a real passion of yours yeah. and you know that people are going to key on this particular passion as our listener here has had this experience year after year and, and really is very public about a particular passion. Um, looking forward to fishing around trying to find your craft beer podcast. <laughs> and that thought does connect the gift to that passion and people are going to work in that territory naturally. So again, help them help you help them make a good choice. If there is something you particularly like, let them know, get the word out through that friend and family network. Absolutely. And Dave, let us know what your podcast is. What's the name of it? We're, we're curious. Definitely. Another listener, Elizabeth had a comment about a question in episode 116, also having to do with gated communities. I think we referred to that earlier this episode. The question was from a woman who, when she visits her friend in a gated community and she's at the gate in her car waiting to be buzzed in, she's worried about the other cars who drive in behind her in kind of a piggyback style when the gate opens. And that's concerning because you don't really know who those people are, whether they're invited, whether they have bad intent. And Elizabeth has an absolutely fantastic tip about what to do in this situation. And she writes, as someone who deals a lot with gated communities, security instructs us once we pass through the gate, we stop beyond the gate and wait for the gate to close so there is zero piggybacking in, even if it's another resident trying to enter. It can be a hassle to sit and wait for the gate to close entirely, but it prevents unwelcome guests from driving in. The person may honk or yell, but you don't have to engage. If you do feel like you need to respond, just use some of Lizzie's sample language about being a guest and not knowing who is permitted to enter and who is not. 
Love the podcast, Elizabeth. Wow, that is such great advice. And if you're quiet enough, Lizzie and Dan, you can hear Elizabeth dropping the mic right now. Boom. May I? Please? Thank you. These are words of respect. Words that make day-to-day living go smoothly. Now it's time for the postscript where we take a slightly deeper dive on a particular etiquette topic. And today's postscript is a update segment that we're going to have a little bit of fun with. So geeks that we are, Dan and I started to get like really into debating out this thank you note issue from the past two episodes. And Marie had originally tweeted the question to us in appropriately abbreviated language. Let's listen to this excerpt from episode 117. 117, hot episode. Is it acceptable for two TY thank you cards for two diff different reasons, but to one person in a single envelope? T.Y., thank you. Hashtag awesome etiquette. Um, I'd actually replied to this one right away and I had a couple different cheeky things in my head to say, but what, what? go for it. You could read what I reply. Well, I, I, I also <laughs> noticed this question come through on Twitter and yeah. I was I was glad to hear you had replied and I thought instantly this is a great one for the show because yeah. it's a point of etiquette, but it's sort of a funny point of etiquette. It is a funny point of etiquette. There's nothing wrong with putting two cards in the same envelope except that it's a little weird. It's a little odd. It's a little, little different. Okay, so two separate thank you notes in one envelope. It seems like a tiny etiquette question, but boy, did it get us thinking and debating. (laughs) Now, generally speaking, Lizzie tends to take a more permissive view where my general guideline is if the thank yous are important enough to be distinct and separate, then they probably deserve two envelopes, to which Lizzie replied... Does it make you look like a thank you note factory if you do that? If you do two totally separate cards with two totally separate thank yous to the same person, separate stamps, everything, they're probably going to arrive the same day, okay, although so it would be really no, funny if they don't. That Does was it where, detract at all? Does it start to look like, oh, she's just going through all her notes today? I mean, I don't know. Yes. Okay. If, I think if you sent them the same day, and this is where I would say I would just put one in the mail one day and one a couple days later. <laughs> That was your uh that I then used. So Dan floated the idea of asking my folks what their thoughts were. And he even floated predictions for which parent would say what answer. And and so we took the opportunity sitting around the old lunch table to talk with them. And now we actually have a much more concrete handle on the particulars of multiple thank yous. Dan had hit this one on the nose, but I was using kind of an umbrella. that may, I was using a golf umbrella where mm-hmm. I needed one of those little tiny compactable umbrellas. Man on the street umbrella? Yeah. Exactly. So my my worldview was a little too big on this one. We had to rein me in. And uh, I did write in this script, for the record, I see what everyone else is talking about now. I am on board. This was literally one of those times where I, I turned around a little bit. And I, I definitely want to acknowledge this this parenthetical that exists in our script that says, for the record, Lizzie sees this now. And, and that cracked me up so hard when I first read this script because this is a, a fun question for it the two is. of us because it's really it gets into that delicious gray area territory where you start to say to yourself, what what is the real purpose of the thank you note? Why are we doing this? And does it make sense to do it this way or that way? Are we still in accord with that fundamental purpose here? We also started looking at all the different 
areas of our lives that we're dealing with thank you notes. Sometimes you're dealing with teaching kids about the practice of thank you notes, and there's a reason for kind of running them through the paces of it, or there's a reason because your kids are so little that combining into that one envelope makes sense. There's there's all kinds of things that we started coming up with when it depended on the event, the actual thing that was being thanked for. It just it it, it got complicated in a really great way, and so Dan and I wanted to share with you the outcomes of that little family exploration debate, whatever you want to call it. I wish I had just hit record on my phone so you could have heard the conversation at the Institute. Because it's what people, I think, imagine yes. happens at the Emily Post Institute. It was the Post family, and there were there are three members of an immediate family, Lizzie and her parents, Peter and Tricia, <laughs> my aunts and uncles, and then there was a cousin there. And we were sitting around debating points of etiquette. And we oftentimes say the Emily Post Institute is not what people imagine it is. In this particular instance, the Emily Post Institute was exactly what someone might imagine it is. <laughs> so here are some of the things that we came up with. As great simplifications to what became a lot of it depends in our answers. So one of the first things that we wanted to recognize when it comes to writing thank you notes is that for the purpose of teaching kids, we see two really important things. One is not combining notes from multiple children in one envelope. When kids are too young to write their own notes, it's fine to combine and send to Grandma or Uncle Jimmy a little packet of notes from the whole family, each member uh, writing their own for the individual gift they received, or if they're too little, Mom's writing, Dad's writing on behalf of a little baby. Um, But once they're old enough that the act of addressing and mailing the note is actually part of the practice, it's part of what you're teaching, um, and you're trying to get your kids used to writing and sending thank you notes and, and knowing how to to address a letter properly, I think that that's actually good to start. It's good to have each of the children write their letter and then their thank you note and then also write the envelope and the address out and put the stamp on it and actually mail it. You know, you're going to bring them there if they're too young to drive or walk to the nearest mailbox. But I think that's important to recognize that there are some times in a kid's life where it's actually good to have those things be, be the full scale exercise of doing it. If the idea is that you're really teaching the importance and the value of thanking, that you really want to do everything you can to err on the side of giving that thanks the weight that you really want it to have. And this was a point that that Lizzie's father, Peter, made several times. He said, how would you explain this the most simply to a child? Oftentimes, the, the best lessons that we learn, the most fundamental lessons that we learn about etiquette, we learn when we're children. And if what you're trying to learn here is that the important thing is the thank you, you don't want to take steps that are going to start to minimize or combine that thank you. You really want to keep Keep the emphasis and the focus on that thanks, on its importance. So we would say not combining thank yous if there are two separate events or instances like our very original question about this had, which was a child's birthday in late November, and then they celebrate Christmas, so dealing with thank yous again basically less than a month later. So the idea is to teach the kids the importance of those individual thanks, which my cousin Dan was standing up for in episode 117, and I think that that's, that's really great. You know, one more thought when it comes to, to kids and birthdays and thank you notes and holidays and gifts and all of it. 
kids with birthdays, the week of a holiday associated with gifts, um, should practice writing separate notes. But it would not be a horrible faux pas if, for example, a person who celebrates Christmas and was born on December 26th wrote a thank you note that referenced both gifts. Um, We would advise that you mention the gifts in chronological order. So if your birthday comes two days before Christmas, talk about your birthday gifts before your Christmas gifts. But that we felt they were just so close together if you're in that week that it, it would be okay to combine Again, with kids, we would say that sometimes for the sake of practice, you might choose not to. One last thought on this that is important to remember is that if we often tell parents who who have uh, kids who have birthdays right around gift giving holidays, that it's okay to separate it out and really give them the importance they deserve so that birthday, which is such a special event to a child, doesn't get lost within Christmas, for example, or Hanukkah for everybody. And I think that that's, that's an important thing to recognize that if you are choosing to really separate and divide and ask that your family members help in supporting that, probably a good idea to write the separate notes for it as well. Just that it's kind of responding in kind to the request that you're putting out there. Now, some families do the thing where they they have cake or they do a special dinner for the child who was born on like a Christmas holiday. Um, But then they often celebrate uh, for both financial and practical and keeping it special for the child. um, They celebrate the birthday at a time. Yeah, like a half birthday or a few months later, the child picks their favorite month in which they're going to choose to celebrate this. Um, And those are things that can occur, too, that that negate this from being an issue. But if you have chosen to celebrate right around and make it separate and encourage mom and dad to be giving gifts to their grandkids that are separate and very clearly holiday gift and birthday gift, that you also then honor that with holiday thank you, birthday thank you. So the next point around thank you is that those two had to deal with teaching kids and kind of really respecting the idea of teaching. This one is about an event deserving a thank you. And the idea would be that this happens to be an event where the host would also be giving a gift to the honoree. So think showers. Um, that would be a really great example of this type of a, of a combined thank you, where we think that a shower hosted by your mother's friend who also gave you a gift for the shower, you you could have the thank you for the hosting as well as the thank you for the gift because they're all associated with the same event. Again, this is the mini umbrella that I needed um, to, to understand. And this this is that moment where it's OK to combine them. So the man on the street, the smaller umbrella applies to multiple thank yous for the same event, things that all happen within a, a pretty particular and defined context. The place where in our answer that the size of that umbrella started to come into question, how large that umbrella of same event, you can include all the thanks for it together. We started to question whether maybe a wedding itself that had multiple events associated with it could all fall under that same umbrella. Could you thank someone for a bridal lunch and for a wedding gift? And this is where we've said that, no, we're going to actually kind of narrow the scope of our umbrella a little bit. We're really going to honor separate events that are part of the same wedding, that a wedding is a big enough a deal that you might have multiple events that occur within the larger context of people getting married that are independent enough in nature that they would really get independent thank you. So the example 
there, I think, was a bridal luncheon and then a well, wedding gift. Yeah. And, and where I was thinking, I, I was going from experience and not remembering that sometimes the timeline of this would be really different. And, and I was thinking, well, you know, the bridal luncheons I've been to are the day before the wedding. And then you've also got a wedding gift happening. So why not? But this is where Dan and my mother uh, pulled it apart and said, no, the, the wedding and the bridal luncheon are separate events. So you don't want to combine that thank you note because you don't want the importance of it to be lost. And that was really the point that made me, for the record, come over to the other side of the aisle on this one. Um, Dan loves it whenever I say that. So I like saying it because they get the best. Again, wish you could see him in the studio. <laughs> Delighted surprise. Maybe the, the look on my face. I'm not that bad. <laughs> but there, so there was but you had a particular um, point of emphasis that you were thinking about that was yes. problematic about why you might combine things it had to do with timing. Yes. And there ended up being sort of an ultimate lesson to thinking about the timing of thank you notes. So there wasn't confusion. So people didn't think that something that really deserved thank you had been lost or forgotten. And you avoid this this issue or this question of bad timing for the thank you notes if you send your thank you notes relatively quickly and you send them in order so that as events happen, you get those thanks out in a timely manner so that someone isn't getting thanked for a wedding gift that happened weeks after a bridal shower that they hosted and wondering, did they appreciate me hosting that bridal shower? And you probably did. You're probably planning to write that thank you note, haven't gotten to you. But if you get them out in a timely fashion and you get them out in the order that events occur, you'll avoid any of that confusion that was potentially problematic. And Trisha Post, my lovely mother, gave us one caveat for this. And that was that if the bridal luncheon, for example, had been something that was just so amazingly, I, I don't want to say over the top because that, that implies the other direction, but if it was just so beautifully handled and so much wonderful work had obviously gone into it and it was just this amazing event in your life that you might take the time, even if your hostess had given you a gift at the bridal luncheon for some reason, that it, it might actually be a good time to separate those notes. Again, placing the importance on the individual items themselves. You can always separate them out, but pooling them together is where we, we offer a little bit of caution. And that might that was her one thing that she added, that if it was just so amazing, you might want to really recognize the hosting skills that had gone into it separately. Woo! So um, that is the very complicated, geeked out version of thank you notes. And I am so grateful to Marie, who posed her question, that then led us to references to past advice we'd given, that then led us to a full discussion at the Emily Post Institute. It was fabulous. It was such a great etiquette moment. <laughs> it was indeed. And we hope that we've shed just a little bit of light on thanking for the coming holiday season. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. always like to end the show on a high note with a tribute to some awesome etiquette that you have benefited from. This salute comes from Jen in Austin, Texas, who wants to sing the praises of a couple of hosts that she knows. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love awesome etiquette and have been a fan since I learned about you on Dinner Party Download. 
And thankfully, you've helped me understand etiquette better. I sort of always thought of it as something stuffy until I learned about your podcast. And now, after hearing so many episodes, I really get that it's just being a thoughtful person in your interactions with others. And when I think of it that way, the two people that immediately come to mind for me are my friends, Vanessa and Steve. Steve comes from this big family in northern Minnesota, and his extended family, they all have these big cabins, and they kind of have this more the merrier attitude. They have these cabins with lots of rooms, and everyone who comes in is welcomed with open arms. And Vanessa and Steve have really taken this idea of welcoming others into their own homes. They now live, as do I, in Austin, Texas, and given that it's such a popular place, they are always hosting friends, families, really everybody. And they just really are the perfect host. They, when you come into their home, give you a tour of the pantry, a tour of the fridge. They leave out these cute little mini toiletries in the guest bathroom. And they just really make you feel welcome and that they care about it and that it just comes from the heart. The reason that I want to send this etiquette salute to them right now is because they're actually building their own homes, like literally with their hands. They are building walls, staying concrete, just making it a fantastic place for them. And I really wish them lots of happiness, a full home uh, in their new place, and maybe as filled with friends, family, and love as their previous places have been. So thank you, Vanessa and Steve, for showing me that etiquette is alive and well and you two are fantastic. Thank you so much, Lizanne Dan. This is Jen in Austin. Jen in Austin, thank you so much for that salute. I love the way that you've identified that it's really the care and the attention that this couple places on their guests that really is for you the the, the point of emphasis is the thing that, that makes them so special. And it's really special that they're building their own house that will... Uh, clearly result in a very personal connection, but it's the life that they breathe into that home that that makes me confident it's going to be a home that you'll continue to want to visit. I really hope that you share this salute with them. Uh, I think that it's really, really nice, and I appreciate where it's coming from. Thank you for sharing that with all of us as well. Thank you, Jen, for that salute. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can give us a call at 802-866-0860 and leave us a message. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And please don't forget to help us out and subscribe on iTunes and please leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner and our show is produced by Chris Roberts. Chris Roberts.